guys, just a quick forewarning about today's episode with my interview with Zach. Um, about eight minutes in, we kind of got cut off. Our recording stopped and we had to hop right back in and basically um, start where we left off. I did my best to edit that out so that you wouldn't really notice a difference. But if you do, just know that that's what it is. Also, for some reason, the the sound quality on my end is not the best. Um, I sound a little bit muffled. So just know that you're still going to get great insight from today's episode. Zach, however, sounds amazing. Um, but for some reason, reason, you'll just have to turn me up a little bit when I'm talking. Uh, I do really appreciate you listening and just know that I'll do my best to get better for you in the future so that you won't have to um, continue to adjust the audio. But other than that, today's episode is great. I'm excited for you guys to learn from Zach. He has amazing insights and we'll just go ahead and hop right in. Welcome to the Let's Be Honest About Business podcast. If you're anything like me, then you strive for us all to be honest with where we're at in our business rather than putting on a front. You can expect to hear about struggles and successes to everything in between from myself and others in business. I'm your host, Morgan, and through being honest with what I've struggled with, I'll be sharing practical tips on how to get out of your slumps and run the business of your dreams regardless of where you're at. Whether you're driving in your car or sipping coffee on your couch, I hope you find this information valuable. Let's hang out. Guys, my next guest is the amazing lawyer I hired for my business, and I have him to thank for helping me feel confident in the service I was offering, and today I'm thrilled for you to be learning from him. With 15 years of experience in the entertainment industry as an artist, manager, promoter, and attorney, he's committed to helping other creative businesses forge success and profitability in their careers. Please welcome Zach Workington. Zach, thank you so much for being on. How are you doing? I'm doing great. That was a great intro. I got to hire you to do my uh, copywriting in the future. (laughs) (laughs) I actually, it's so funny because I have had um, quite a few business owners reach out to me and ask if I do copy. Uh-huh. Uh, I actually really enjoy writing. So <laughs> you got a second career burgeoning, I can tell. Yeah, maybe at some point. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, uh, so before we get started, we have a really great discussion today all about why um, every small creative business owner should hire uh, legal help in their business. Um, And I can personally vouch for that knowing um, how much you have helped me. But before we get started and talking about that, why don't you go ahead and tell everyone a little bit about yourself? What do you do for work? How'd you get started? All of that. Yeah, sure. So I'm currently an entertainment and creatives law lawyer in uh, Denver, Colorado. Uh, Everyone always asks, what is creatives law? Um, You know, when people typically think about entertainment law, they think mostly about music and film and TV, at least in my mind. And I provide legal counsel to a wide range of clients that really exceeds the scope of just those three modalities. Uh, So I call it creatives law. A number of attorneys work call it creatives law, although that's not a a super well-accepted term. Essentially, it's three different areas that I counsel clients on. Uh, It's corporate transactional, so it's formation of a business or a partnership, how to streamline it, how to best set it up both from a legal and a tax perspective. Um, The second area is contract analysis and review. So really just any type of general contract you would use in your day-to-day business from a services agreement to a manufacturing agreement to any type of vendor or insurance uh, deals that you need to do, et cetera, employment, um, anything along those lines. And then finally, intellectual property, which is something that's huge, obviously, for photographers, um, copyright musicians, Uh, Anyone that's working with any type of a copyright issue, uh, and then also, of course, branding, uh, which is primarily trademark, uh, registering and litigating trademarks. 
Um, I have a background. I was a litigator, complex civil litigator for five years and then moved on to form my own firm. It's a boutique uh, creative law firm in Denver, Colorado, as I mentioned. And the reason I did that was because for years and still am, I, I, I was and still am a creative uh, at heart. I've done a lot of dabbling in painting and music and other areas of art. And I really wanted to get back to the roots of who I am as a person and who I enjoy representing. And that's creatives of all types. And so about 18 months ago, I founded my own law firm uh, called Workington LLC. And again, we work out of Denver. I help uh, creatives all over the country in those three, primarily in those three areas I just discussed. That's awesome. Um, and the fact that you've uh, you have that creative background, you actually specialize with working with small creative business owners actually really helps. Um, I know for me personally, when I reach out to you, I was like, oh, I really want somebody who like, you know, where can who can build a contract that first I can understand because it's really, I think we oftentimes think with like our hearts and, um, you know, that brain part of us doesn't necessarily function as well as business owners. Um, so you <laughs> right. make that really, really easy. <laughs> yeah. Thanks Morgan. I, it's, you know, it's, we all know about the kind of right brain versus left brain dichotomy. And as much as I can be the left brain aspect of a business, and really help creative businesses get from point A to point B as easily and efficiently, financially efficiently, including um, as possible. I, I think that's really uh, an awesome role to play where I can allow the creatives themselves to then just really focus on the right brain part, which of course is why they're creatives and what they enjoy doing. Um, so that's, you know, it's important to me. And, and I feel um, that my past and my, you know, ongoing work in music and other areas is really beneficial and that it helps me see the issues from the side of my clients from the point of, you know, from the perspective of a creative and not just, you know, some other attorney who's coming in and wants to kind of put you in the box of every corporate client they've ever had. Uh, obviously there's certain aspects of being a creative that make them unique. And that's really what I want to emphasize when I'm representing my clients. Right. And you do that so well. Um, so what's something about you, what's something personal about you that few people know? Something personal about me that few people know. I mean, I think a lot, everyone that is around me and that I work with and my friends um, and family all know that I'm a creative at heart. I don't think many of them know to what extent I do stuff. I, I currently have two music projects going on. I've got one called photographic it's spelled really funkily we didn't really think i should have used my own advice i give to my clients when i uh <laughs> when we came up with our name but it's f-o-t-o-g-r-a-f-f-i-k so it's kind of phonetically spelling out photographic and that is a turntable based project my brother is an audio engineer and turntablist and the two of us put together a uh, sample based project and then I have a second project going on with the lead singer, also with my brother, but then with the lead singer, formerly of Vonnegut and Take to the Yours, or a couple of bands that did pretty well around Denver for a while and then broke up. Um, so I think a lot of people don't really know to the extent that I'm still doing music. I mean, we, I work on music probably every two to three days and meet at least weekly with those guys on these projects um, and continue. Really, it's kind of a passion project. We don't necessarily anticipate anything will ever come of it. Um, and then in addition to that, I'm writing a, uh, my first novel. It's kind of a bucket list thing that I've been working on off and on for the past, I don't know, four months or so. And it may take me 10 years to write, but <laughs> I'm okay. trying to keep myself in the creative world because it's kind of a, 
an itch I always feel I need to scratch or a scratch I always need to itch one of the two <laughs> that's awesome what is are you are you able to talk about what your novel is about yeah so it's going to be kind of your typical hero journey I have a two-year-old daughter who um, I'm obviously enamored with and so I wanted to do a protagonist of a young lady um, in her teenage years that's going to be from the American Southwest and kind of thrust into this you know worldwide battle that involves a lot of forces beyond anything she could have foreseen but she's going to have um you know, some supernatural help and also kind of some unseen abilities that she's going to learn on the way. And it'll be, you know, my own twist on the fairly typical hero's journey, i.e. Harry Potter, uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, Star Wars, that kind of thing. Um, but to be honest, I'm just outlining it now and really just getting started. So hopefully it doesn't take me 10 years to write, but it's, it's been fun so far. That's awesome. Well, whenever you make progress on that, you'll definitely have to keep me posted because I'm, I'm a huge advocate for supporting other people in their uh, little passion projects. So absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I will. Yeah. Well, I'm going to make a transition here uh, into our topic, which I'm really excited about. Would you mind briefly explaining why every business owner should hire a lawyer in the beginning? Yeah. I, so, you know, it's, it's always a question, especially with creative businesses. There's always and in any business really there's always the question of how much money you invest on the front end and into what silos into what canisters the legal silo is often one i think people just assume that attorney fees are going to be very expensive and you know attorney fees are not inexpensive of course but in the grand scheme of what they do for you and how they get the what i you know what i call the motor of the company running it's really, really beneficial to get things done at the beginning rather than have to undo things later in the process. And so I do a lot of speaking and talking about when people, the, the majority of my clients are LLCs or some type of corporate form, so C-Corp or S-Corp. And the majority of questions that I get, at least on the front end, is when do we need to go ahead and formalize our corporate structure? Or it could be a partnership structure too, although there's some drawbacks. People should be aware of, of just entering into a partnership that we can discuss if you'd like here in a minute. But um, the corporate form really comes into play into two big, two big areas. One is when you have any type of exposure. So as soon as a business is out, if they have an actual you know, in-person store, physical location, or if they work in an industry where there is some potential for a decent amount of exposure, liability exposure, then you really want to get things formalized because the corporate form provides you with liability protection, meaning that if something bad were to happen and you get sued, they can only sue the corporate entity. They can't sue or go after your personal assets as an owner of that entity. And one of the things that the courts really, if, if a lawsuit occurs, are looking for in this type of situation is that you have preserved those corporate formalities from a legal and a tax perspective to make sure that you are – um, kind of towing the line. Uh, the, the government has this quid pro quo where they'll give you this corporate form and these liability protections against your personal assets. In exchange, you have to go ahead and kind of abide by what they expect as far as a corporate form. So if you're going you know, to have any kind of liability expo exposure, it's really important to get that corporate form set up early. The second big time to do that is when you have more than one owner. Um, if you're just a single person, sole proprietor, it's still a, usually a good idea to get your corporate form set up early, but it's not as important because essentially, you know, the, the agreement that governs your corporation is an agreement with yourself if you're a sole proprietor. 
And so in that situation, it's not as important just from a, um, you know, more than one person perspective of, of getting stuff set up early. But if you do have more than one person, you really need to go ahead and get your, um, your bylaws or your operating agreement if you're an LLC in place. Those are the corporate documentation that really are kind of the Magna Carta, the lifeblood of your corporation. And they intentionally address all the different aspects of it from formation to voting to ownership interests, how you admit members, how you get rid of members, how you withdraw if you don't want to be part of it anymore, how you can sell your shares. Um, it's really kind of tip to tail the governing agreement and documentation that controls anything that could happen down the road. And from a really large perspective, kind of 10,000 foot view, what we're talking about here is the in case of clauses, right? And when you start out a business, especially when it's, you know, a bunch of friends that are getting together to start a business, typically everything is pretty peachy keen and everyone's excited and there's this possibility of making money and having fun together. And no one's really thinking about, you know, what happens when money rolls in and somebody's mad that they're not making money as much money as the other shareholder or member or owner. And so having the documentation in place at the beginning is great because, first of all, it handles disputes down the road when they occur. But second of all, it manages expectations, which in and of itself is really a way of heading off disputes or issues before they even occur. Um, I could talk for hours on this subject, so maybe I'll, I'll turn it back over to you for because <laughs> I feel like I've been going for a while. But that's kind of generally my perspective on why you want to go ahead and get these things taken care of at the beginning. No, I, I totally agree. And I think um, especially if we're talking about small business owners, we um, at the beginning, it's just not really a, a thought in the front of our minds um, or even something that we should worry about until it actually becomes a problem. Um, do yeah, you, are you oh, sorry, what were you going to say? Well, no, I was going to say that's right. And even from a, you know, an even more basic perspective. So for someone like you, Morgan, who's going out and providing services to clients, you know, having a really solid services agreement is key too, because it's, um, you know, that's the lifeblood of your business. And what happens is a lot of times people will go and they'll download templates or they'll cobble together their own agreement and they'll utilize that. And it may never create a dispute that never may never be an issue with one of the clients. But the problem is when there is that issue and you're utilizing bad or unintended language to control your business, that's typically when, you know, it gets really expensive. So you can pay, you know, up front the thousand plus dollars it costs to put together a good agreement from an attorney, or you can spend, you know, five grand litigating in county or district court over something you probably could have handled at the beginning. Um, so maybe just a little tack on there to kind of why you want to get this stuff taken care of at the beginning. Totally, actually. And uh, that kind of leads into my next question for you. Um and I know that's what I did when I first started my business. I, uh, my dad had helped put me to put a contract together for me. And, and then I showed it to you and, and you were the one who had, who was like, you know, this is not really going to hold up in court. Um, and I had no idea. And I think that's where a lot of small business owners lie. They, they download it off the internet. They have someone write it or they write it themselves, but they have no idea that what they're writing either just doesn't hold up or is not, it's just not going to be valid overall. Yeah. So, do you have a story, um, you know, or what, I guess what repercussions have you seen, um, you know, from someone just because they were a small business, they didn't hire legal help in the beginning, and then you've had to go and help clean it up. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I mean, I have lots of examples I could provide, John, you know, 
all kinds of ways that various agreements have fallen apart. It's gotten really expensive on the back end. You know, a lot of times in corporate divorce situations, which basically means when partners or members are moving apart, um, if you don't have appropriate clauses for how people leave, you can get stuck with ownership interests that you never intended. For example, I've got a client right now who was a member of an LLC and she didn't want to be she didn't want to participate with the other two members any longer. But the operating agreement didn't have and they actually had an operating agreement, but it didn't have any type of a way for her to sell her interest. And so we had to go through a number of hoops in order to basically get the other two members to come to the table and buy back her membership interest. And otherwise, she was having a really hard time getting out of this business relationship that she it had gone south and she had no interest in, in being in it any longer. So, you know, if you don't address the issues at the beginning and then something, you know, something happens where you didn't anticipate it, um, it can be a real problem in undoing everything. And that's where it gets expensive is when you have to pay somebody to not only research the issue, communicate with the involved parties, draft up new documentation. You can, you know, you can understand it gets much more expensive to put all that stuff together. Um, you know, just generally from a, a standpoint of downloading templates from the internet and you know, cobbling things together. I mean, my clients do that stuff all the time. People do that stuff all the time. And in fact, at several of my speaking gigs, people have asked me, you know, like, where's the best place to get templates? And the reality is people think, I've, I think a lot of times people think that transactional attorneys specifically, those attorneys that work in contracts, um, are really just taking templates and putting them together quickly for a client and then shooting them out. And that's not really what we do. I mean, basically every client that comes to me, especially in, in an area like creative law, I have clients that are architects. I have clients that are photographers like yourself. I have musician clients. I have venue clients. And each one of those has particular types of issues that are going to arise in the context of their business. And even on top of that, if you're the venue versus the artist, you're going to write a contract from a very different perspective of how you want to protect yourself. And so within that, you know, I may use clauses that I've used before, but I'm amending them every single time to conform to the particular client's wants and needs in that situation. And so if you just download something from the Internet, you're not really going to have that kind of tailoring to what your specific services are and what you want to get out of the contract and how you want to be protected. Um, and then moreover, from just a, a general standpoint, these, most of the laws that control the way contracts operate are controlled by the state in which you reside, in which you're doing business. And so if you just download something from the Internet and it happens to come from the state of Washington or the state of Nebraska and you're using it in Colorado, the likelihood that it is going to be enforceable or enforceable to the extent you believe is pretty low. Um, a really good example of that is non-solicitation and non-compete provisions. You see these all the times, all the time in contracts, especially ones downloaded from the internet. And in the state of Colorado, aside from four very limited exceptions, non-competition clauses are what we call void ab initio, meaning they're void from the beginning, from the moment they're even put in writing. And so you've got a pretty strong burden trying to enforce something like that. You'd have to fit it into an example and prove to a court that it was valid before you'd be able to enforce it. And so there's other ways to get around that, putting it in a contract, uh, drafting a solid trade secrets clause, non-disclosure agreement, et cetera. But if you try to you know, just download something from the Internet and then enforce a non-compete provision, for one, you're not going to be able to enforce it. And for two, you're going to spend a lot of money trying to enforce something that you didn't even realize was unenforceable um, because you didn't talk to an attorney at the, at the beginning. 
Um, so again, I mean, it's just, it's an issue of understanding, you know, well, I guess more tailoring to your business, how you want the contract to actually function for you, protect you and motivate your business. And then also, of course, making sure that in case stuff happens, it's actually enforceable. Yeah, that's a really good point. And and also to add to that, when you hire a lawyer, and I can vouch for our experience together, um, you've written me, uh, drawn up contracts for me, but then, you know, a month or two will pass and then you'll email me saying, hey, um, I've just changed the wording a little bit in this, um, this one paragraph that I think will be better. Um, so you're, you're also hiring um, someone who can kind of vouch for you, you know, through the entire time that you have your business and can help, uh, you know, make those changes as they go. Cause if you download a contract off the internet, you're not going to have that security, I guess. Um, Absolutely. So, uh, so I, you know, that's something too to consider when it comes to hiring a lawyer. Yeah. I mean, I look at it almost as if almost like your relationship with your doctor. I mean, my dad was an internist for 35 years, so maybe that's where this comes from, but you know, one of the things I love about what I do is I build relationships with people who are building businesses and pouring themselves and their livelihoods into this business that they're trying to get either off the ground or from point A to B or whatever it may be. And as a result, I don't want to just be somebody who looks over the terms of your deal and says, this is good, this isn't. First of all, I want to create a document for you that's living and breathing and can conform and be flexible to your business and how it's going to change over the years. But secondly, when you have a question, I want you to be able to call me. Um, and, you know, the, things like uh, LegalZoom, websites out there, they, they have their place. I, I, I certainly understand when people want to get a will drafted up for, you know, $200 or whatever it is. But the reality is that if you don't have that interpersonal relationship with the person who's best looking out for your needs, then really what are you getting out of that? I mean, it's, you know, you can get something you think kind of protects you, but what's the point if, you know, you don't actually know that the point is having the security and not only the documentation itself, but the relationship you have with the professional you've hired to help your business move forward. Um, and so there again, I, I almost look at it like a doctor, like you wouldn't just, you know, you know, base your diagnosis off what WebMD tells you. I mean, you, you go and you talk to the person, you get a feel for how they take care of you and how they look at you and how they, how they diagnose your issues. And then you work with them to address those issues as they go away or, or, you know, exacerbate in the future. And that's, that's exactly how I look at myself as a professional as well. Right. Yeah, no. And I really appreciate that. And that's, that's, I think that's something that a lot of people don't consider. And even something that took me, you know, four years to consider because I've gone four years, uh, you know, without having that in place in my business. So um, can you talk to me a little bit about the investment? Um, I know a lot of small business owners, especially when they're first starting, they're really scared of the investment, but what does that look like? Sure. On their end? And how much more is it going to cost for them to, for you to clean up a mess if they don't make that investment upfront? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really depends largely on the size of your business. So if you're starting off and you're a three member, uh, let's say LLC for an example, and maybe you have a couple of employees, your initial investment is going to be, I would guess, probably in the range of four to $5,000. You're going to need to invest a couple thousand dollars into an operating agreement or bylaws, depending on this, the type of corporate structure. And really, that sounds expensive. But if, again, you consider the fact that this is, again, the, the Magna Carta, the governing document for the entire life of your company, which under the law could be forever. I mean, most most corporations are set up to exist into perpetuity short of the 
them being dissolved. Um, you know, it's really a, a pretty small investment to get the engine running right in the best way from the beginning. Um, you also probably would need employment agreements. Employment law can be pretty thorny, and I am by no means an expert in employment law, but I, I know enough to at least you know, get an employment or independent contractor agreements together and make sure that you're protected from a revenue uh, as well as a tax perspective, meaning there can be some pretty significant penalties for misclassifying your employees versus independent contractors that you know, can come in to bite you several years after the fact and would be pretty um, harmful to even a very successful business at that point. Um, you know, on the converse side, if you're a sole proprietor and you're starting up and you really just need to get going with a services agreement and you don't necessarily need the formal corporate documentation, you're probably looking around $1,000 plus or minus um, to get a really solid services agreement in place. If you have two ways that you need contracts, so for example, I have a client right now that runs an online distribution service and the company needs um, documentation, not only with its vendors, but with its clients. You're looking at, you know, two contracts. So maybe around $1,500, maybe a little less, depending on the type of contract and the amount of complexity to it. Um, but generally I would say for a, you know, an early small business, you're probably looking at about a thousand dollars to just get the basic documentation in place. And then again, for a little bit more of a complex corporate structure, probably around five grand. Now, if you're a mid-sized business and you've got a lot more to worry about, it's obviously going to go up from there, but that's a good starting point. Yeah. that And I think that helps um, give our listeners a, a, an idea. Um, what, I mean, what are some expenses that they, they should expect if they, um, if something were to happen down the road All right. and they didn't have that in place? Yeah. So that's, you know, when these things happen, it's when it's, when when the expenses arise down the road because you don't have things in place, it's almost always in the context of a dispute that's arisen. And that dispute could be with an employee. That dispute could be with a fellow member owner of the business. Um, it, the dispute could be in the context of mediation or litigation. And, you know, all of those things can be extremely expensive. So from an employee perspective, the labor laws in this country are pretty just i mean this is a overgeneralization but for purposes of you know this interview the employment laws in this country are pretty favorable towards the employee and what they can seek in um you know missed overtime pay or um missed benefits etc so if you have independent contractors that are actually qualifying as employees in the eyes of the department of revenue or department of labor and employment they can come back and they can get all of they can they can fine you for all of the income you did not pay to that employee and over time, et cetera, but also can penalize you according to statute. Um, and then you would obviously have to pay an attorney to represent you with the Department of Revenue in that particular instance. You're probably looking, I mean, conservatively 10 to 15 grand in any type of an employment dispute. And that's before it gets to court. Um, if it occurs in the context of a corporate divorce and you have um owners that are crosswise with each other, that can get extremely expensive. I would say any average corporate litigation from filing through jury trial, probably looking in the range of fifty dollars to $100,000. Um, if experts are involved, what they typically have to be because the corporate issues can become pretty complex, then, I mean, you're looking easily at paying twenty, twenty-five grand in experts alone. And in the United States, when you go to court, regardless if you're right, almost you know, there's there's exceptions, but almost always you pay your own costs. So even if you were to win, you still would be on the hook for that fifty thousand to one hundred thousand dollars it would cost to litigate that trial. 
So it can get pretty expensive. It can get expensive really quickly. And that's why it's really important, again, to have a very thorough um, you know, documentation up front, whether that's your, your general services or employment agreements or your, your corporate documentation. Um, I've got another client right now who's actually going through a, a corporate divorce issue. And the original operating agreement for the LLC was only 17 pages, which sounds long. But typically when I write these, they're anywhere from 35 to 50 pages. And for a 17-page um, operating agreement, it didn't address a lot of the issues we're dealing with now and in, in transferring of interest and how you get out, et cetera. And so, yeah, I mean, that particular client is probably already in it for about four to $5,000 individually trying to get out of this other corporation. Um, so you can see just from that standpoint right there that, um, you know, the two to three grand it costs to, to pay an attorney to get a, a solid operating agreement together at the beginning is pretty worth it. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, what about in terms of a dispute with a client? Yeah. Yeah. So a dispute with a client is almost always going to exist in the litigation context. Um, I think I haven't looked at this in a while, but the county court max, I think right now is 15,000. I think I think small claims court in Colorado is 10. So if you have a dispute in under $10,000, you would go to small claims court. Attorneys aren't allowed in small claims court unless the defendant hires one and then the plaintiff can have one. But suffice it to say that if you sue in small claims court for an amount less than $10,000, you'd be taking yourself to court and putting together your exhibits and presenting to the judge and going after it. And, you know, of course, there's there's always two parts to litigation. So if it actually gets to that point, because there's a dispute over, you know, whether somebody breached an agreement for services, um, you have to go present your case and win, and then you have to actually collect. And so really winning, people think that it's over once you win money, but actually you still got to get that money out of the person you won against. And that can you know, be in the form of liens or other ways to you know, garnishment, but you have to pay people to enforce that too. And that can get expensive. Uh, so oftentimes people, you know, if the dispute is only a couple thousand dollars, you're probably just out that couple thousand dollars. It's probably going to be more expensive and out of your time and money uh, resources to go litigate that and actually enforce and collect on a judgment. Um, you know, if it's more expensive than that, then, you know, you got to pay a court, you got to, excuse me, you got to pay an attorney probably to represent you in either county court or district court. That's when disputes are over $15,000. And at that point, you know, you're not going to be able to find a lot of attorneys to go represent you typically on a percentage basis if there's not a decent amount of money at stake. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, well-written contracts serve two purposes. And I think people often forget this. They always think enforceability, which is true. I mean, you definitely want a contract that if the worst thing happens, you can enforce it and it protects you. But the other purpose for writing a contract is really to head off disputes before they occur. And so a lot of times when I'm drafting clauses for my clients, I'm really thinking about what is the best way to ensure that if things go south, the employee either feels comfortable coming to you first and, and we're trying to work it out. Or secondly, is kind of forced to do that, um, either through like what we call liquidated damages clause. Um, I don't get too technical for your for your listeners, but there's some other clauses you can put in there that essentially are more of a deterrent to litigation than um, actually being an, you know, uh, the sole purpose being enforceability. Um, choice of law and mediation provisions are a great example of that by making sure that somebody has to sue you in a particular county or that they have to go to mediation um, is a really good way to preclude people from suing you because they're looking at having to spend more money to either travel or to you know, pay mediators up front in order to resolve disputes. 
Um, and there's some other crafty ways you can kind of um, deter lawsuits in the future, but that's a huge part of what I do. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I know this all sounds kind of scary for those listening who are like, oh my gosh, I don't have, I don't have all this together. Like what the heck? Um, but the reason I wanted to have you on was because I think um, having all that done up front is really going to save a lot of that heartache in the end, um, you know, and, and discouragement and whatever. I mean, that can really potentially end up uh you know, shutting a business down, um, which is what our listeners don't want. So, um, so for those who are listening, who maybe haven't, uh, set that up on the front end, this is really good advice for, um, for why, for why it's really important. Um, and, and just having those contracts and all that set up on the front end really just helps set expectations so that you don't actually reach the point where you have to, you know, go to court and, um, you know, deal with all those the, all those scary issues <laughs> yeah it's, it's exactly right I mean, yeah, hopefully i'm not being too dark or foreboding here but oh, no. <laughs> I, I get paid to protect people and you know it's it's funny because it's like trusting the state's attorneys right I mean, nobody wants to think about death but everybody needs a will so you know you have to go talk about what happens when the inevitable happens and yeah so i'm not trying to be too dark or anything but i've seen enough issues over the years that um you know, my interest is to make sure my clients succeed and don't have to worry about this stuff. And when inevitably some issue comes up with their business, they're protected, hopefully, in a way that makes it the least much, you know, least amount of a nuisance as possible. Totally. Yeah. And that, and that totally makes sense. Um, I know I didn't uh, prepare you for this question, but are you able to advise? I know there's um, probably some people who are listening who are registered as an LLC or DBA. Are you able to provide insight on what's best uh, moving forward with them? Yeah, and so I probably should give the uh, general lawyer caveat here that this is not actually legal advice and I'm just talking in generalizations. And if you want to chat about it, feel free to contact me. Um, Okay, great, now that we've got that (laughs) way. Um, Yeah, so there's a couple of really good straightforward concepts to understand, especially, are your listeners primarily within Colorado? Actually, they're all over. So all over. Um, I have a lot of people who are in Colorado, but uh, but yeah, I also have a lot of people from everywhere in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And so this, you know, the, the laws in the United States vary from state to state, but they're typically pretty uniform when applying to partnership and LLC. There's a couple of funky states out there, Louisiana, Hawaii, New York and California um, all have very particular laws. Um, but generally speaking, Partnership is what you are by default. So if you go out and you start a business with somebody and you don't do any kind of formalization and you maybe you know start up a bank account for it and you just start doing, then you're a partnership. Partnerships can be great. They're flexible. They're easy to get in and out of. Um, they provide a lot of ease of administration. They don't have a lot of fees that you have to pay associated with them. Really bad things with partnerships, however, are you can very easily tie yourself into liability you didn't intend to. So a partner can tie the entire partnership as well as the other partner into something they do. And if you have a partner who does something silly or negligent or downright fraudulent, you as the partner in that business can actually be subject to any potential liability that your partner has incurred, meaning not only could they go after the partnership, whoever the the uh, victim is, 
they could also go after your personal assets. And that's scary. Obviously, you know, when we start talking about houses and, and stocks and stuff like that. Um, so that's something to be aware of. Now, partnerships can also take the form of, of joint ventures and that those can be very successful. So if you have a, a company and you have another company and you want to get together for a limited purpose of a specific event or promotion or whatever it is, then partnerships are great for just having a contract between the two that we're going to combine together. We're going to get this event done and then we're going to go back to running our businesses separately. Um, typically where I work and advise my clients more often is through the LLC form. Um, LLCs are wonderful for a couple of reasons, uh, primarily from liability and taxation perspectives. So the first being liability, they provide LLCs generally provide the liability protections of the corporate form. I think we're all familiar with that, but essentially what that means is you create this fictitious person in the company. And that person, as long as you maintain some of these formalities we were talking about earlier that the government wants you to do, then that person is the only thing that can be sued. So it's the separate business. If something bad happens, then only that they can only come after that business and not your personal assets or any of the owner's personal assets in relation to that issue. Um, the second really great advantage of an LLC is the fact that it allows for pass-through taxation. Um, this is essentially what people will identify as partnership or S-corp taxation. And what that means is, is that you're only taxed once on the money that comes into the LLC, um, typically within the standard C-corp, what we, what we think of as a general corporation form, you're taxed twice. Uh, first of all, on the earnings that come into the company, and then second, on any distributions made to the shareholders. And so LLCs are great for, um, you know, any number of businesses really in providing kind of that dual layer of uh, liability protection with with taxation advantages. Um, this is changing a little bit just because of some of the, the laws that have been passed over the last couple of years, including the Trump tax bill in 2017. Um, but for general purposes and the purposes of this conversation, those are you know, kind of some of the things that I think about when I'm thinking about what kind of a corporate form a client would need. Okay. Yeah, that definitely helps answer the question. I know there's a lot of people who are listening who have one or the other. So, um, and I get people who ask me all the time, well, should I do an LLC or should I keep my DBA? And I'm like, well, I think LLC, but uh, it's great to hear that from your, your perspective. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, so DBA is really just a trade name um, and you can have both. So I have a lot of clients who have, you know, an LLC registered with the secretary of state here in Colorado. And let's say it's ABC and it's doing business as, and then you can have any number of, you know, essentially subsidiary corporations They're not technically subsidiary corporations, but they're separate businesses spun off, spun off, spun off, excuse me, under a separate trade name. So you could have, you know, ABC, LLC, DBA, um, DEF, you know, I, I, that's a terrible, that's, oh my gosh, that was a lot of letters. Um, <laughs> But the point being that you can have DBAs and have different businesses running out of a single LLC form as well. Um, you know, really the key there is that if you are a partnership, you do typically, at least in the state of Colorado, have to file a trade name. I'm sure this is the same in almost every state here in the U.S. Um, but that's mainly just so that the government can kind of keep its tabs on you, make sure you're paying your taxes correctly, that you're um, filing the appropriate forms, et cetera. Um, so yeah, the, the, the main issue is really, do you want to be a partnership or some type of a corporate form, an LLC or a more formalized corporate form? And I think what most people don't understand is if you haven't made that choice, you're a partnership. 
And so that's, that's when it gets a little dicey, especially if you're in a, you know, potentially a high exposure situation with what you're doing. Yeah, totally. Well, that's awesome. I think uh, so far you've provided some amazing insight for our listeners. Do you have anything else that you want to add? No, I think uh, it's been a lot of fun and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with your listeners. You know, if they have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. They can uh, reach out and contact me anytime. My last name's easiest to spell phonetically. So it's war like civil war, Ken like Ken and Barbie, tin like a tin can, Warkington <laughs> LLC. Um, I'm on the web and they can email me at Zach at WarkingtonLLC.com. I love that. Um, before you go, what's something that you're currently working on that you're really excited about? As far from a legal perspective or a creative perspective? You could do either. Or how about both? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think from a creative perspective, I'm super psyched about this new uh, musical project I've got going on. Um, let's see. From a legal perspective, probably the most exciting thing I got going on. Oh, I actually have a new project. I recently was asked to be a music supervisor on a film being produced in Hollywood. Um, which is really fun because I get to kind of sit back and give my opinion. You know, I, I'm not really responsible for putting any of the music together or any of the first cut together for the film, but I do get to be involved in saying, you know, maybe it wasn't scary enough here. Or maybe you should use some strings more over here. And so that's a pretty fun little project I'm doing. Uh, and hopefully will lead to some additional opportunities in that realm if, if they arise, if I do it well. <laughs> wow that's awesome yeah <laughs> I'm really you'll have to you'll have to keep me posted on that that's super exciting yeah um, it's gonna be fun it's the film for your listeners is called Willie Jamali and the Kakakoon it's okay. based it's I know it's kind of an unusual uh title but it's based on a story that a good friend of mine Tyler Schnabel who's an actor and filmmaker in Hollywood uh, used to tell and play out in the woods of his home in, uh, I believe, Pennsylvania. But I don't, I don't know that for sure. And anyway, so he's revisited that now. He's a movie maker and is taking this kid story he, you know, he used to tell as a kid and, and turning it into a, a motion picture. So it's pretty fun. That's awesome. I'll definitely put yeah. that in the show notes, and I'm also going to put your contact information in the show notes as well, um, so that if anyone is interested in hiring you or reaching out to you, they can. Um, Zach, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. This is a great conversation. I hope that our listeners, I know that our listeners have learned a lot from you. Awesome. Thanks, Morgan. I, I appreciate it. Hopefully it wasn't too dry, but uh, important stuff. So, you know, if your listeners have any questions, they're welcome to reach out to me anytime. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, take care. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. For more information or to learn a little bit more about me and my brand, you can follow me on Instagram at Lady Ilg. That's L-A-D-Y-I-L-G. Or visit LadyIlgPhotography.com. If you have any questions you'd like me to answer for you on a future episode, simply email me at Morgan at LadyIlgPhotography.com with your question, and I'd love to answer it for you. Your questions are encouraged and welcome. I look forward to showing up on another episode soon.